This is the Out of State Hunter Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Riker, and the Out of State Hunter Podcast is the resource for non-residents to get information about all 50 states. Wherever you want to hunt, we will have that information here at Out of State Hunter. Today, I have Kentucky on. I've got Brian Clark, the Deputy Commissioner for Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, and we have an awesome, awesome show. We talk a lot about the elk herd that's there in Kentucky, the deer opportunity that they have, some con- or some turkey opportunity. We have a lot of good conversation today, so I think you're going to take a lot away from this one. First up, a uh, couple of sponsor ads, and then we'll jump into this show First things first, let's talk about Altera Arms. I finally picked up my Altera Arms rifle from the FFL, and that thing is absolutely amazing. I've got it loaded up in the truck, and it's going out with me this weekend. I'm going on a little scouting trip. I'm going to take that rifle with me and zero it and just do some shooting in the off hours. Um, Absolutely amazing. Those guys did such a great job of putting that thing together, and I, I can't wait to get behind it and get some shots through it. I will also be taking my Kodiak Canvas Flexbow on this little scouting trip. So more to come on that. I'm sure you'll see some videos and, and some some cool stuff. Check out the Kodiak website. They just released a brand new tent. That's a 12 by 16, uh, one of their cabin tents. And that thing is absolutely massive. So if you're setting up a big camp somewhere, you're going to stay there for a pretty good duration. Make sure you check out that new tent. Uh, links to that and Altera Arms are both in my description below, but it's alteraarms.com and kodiakcanvas.com. So let's hop into this show with Kentucky. Again, I, I think you're going to take a lot away from this show. Tons of information. Okay, so we are on today with Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, and I have an excellent guest on today. I have Brian Clark, Deputy Commissioner. Uh, Brian, why don't you take a minute to introduce yourself, and then we're going to jump straight into hunting in Kentucky and and what opportunities that we have for out-of-state hunters. But first, I want to hear about you and kind of the day-to-day of a Deputy Commissioner. Thank you, Chad. Pleasure to be with you, and yeah, uh, my background is is uh, originally was wildlife management, wildlife ecology and conservation and worked in the field uh, beginning with the department uh, for about the first half of my career in that working with private landowners, managing public lands, uh, working with stakeholder groups. And uh, gradually, as I worked through the department, I've been with the agency for 28 years and um, uh, then moved to a, a new role, started with a, a new marketing division that our uh, agency established um, beginning in 2010 and worked there for about 10 years in uh, analytics and uh, doing uh, customer and stakeholder uh, engagement processes, primarily surveys. And so I have a background in human dimensions, uh, which is what we call in our field, but social science, engaging primarily with hunters, anglers, uh, other people with, with uh interest in wildlife conservation fisheries and um, the the last few years I've been working in the commissioner's office so um, took on a new role um, with a, a great opportunity to help uh, lead the agency and um, guide our divisions including wildlife and marketing and you know, fisheries and law enforcement a variety of divisions that we have that uh, all work together to achieve our mission but yeah the, the a day in the life is is uh, uh, usually has some challenges with it it's a lot of fun i I consider those challenges to be a privilege to uh to help continue to move the needle Uh, we have a great 
a great history of, um, of hunting and conservation in Kentucky. We'll get into some of those things uh, here as we go. And um, we, we have a, a, a mindset or an ethos of continuous improvement here. And so uh, we, we don't want to make things confusing for the hunters, but we do want to continue to make things uh, simpler and straightforward while also, you know, sustaining the resource. And so um, those are, are, you know, priorities for us as an agency. We do uh, welcome, provide a lot of opportunities for non-residents, for the out-of-state hunters, um, while also, again, giving um, priority to, to residents in many cases. But we, we do have a tremendous opportunity or suite of opportunities for non-residents. So look forward to getting into some of that with you for your hearers. Yeah, thank you. So there, I'm reading through the notes that you provided for me, and there is a t- tremendous amount of opportunity for non-residents. And and uh, obviously it does, there is, it's weighted a little bit more toward a resident, but that's what states do, right? That's It's your resource to manage, and it should be managed for the residents. So I think myself, uh, I think I speak for a lot of people when I say we're grateful for any opportunity that's out there in, in any state, whether, you know, whoever it is or what opportunity is provided. But uh, you said a day in, a, in the life of a deputy commissioner. I, I think that's probably an entire series of podcasts that we could we could probably do. So, um, all right. Well, thank you for coming on. I know you're, you're really, really busy and I appreciate your time. We'll just kind of jump into things and um, let's start with what's new for, for 2023. So people that have hunted in Kentucky before, is there anything that they need to be aware of that may be a rule change? or something significant that they might want to know about before they come to the state? Yeah, one thing that, that would be interest of interest to your uh, to your audience, because a lot of folks are probably interested in big game hunting, elk hunting. Um, we have a few changes related to elk. Uh, one is we, we've expanded the window that folks can apply for our elk hunt drawing. And so we don't call it a lottery or a draw here, we call it a drawing and, and it's a random drawing. And so there's no preference point system or anything like that with our elk hunt. Um, but we, we've expanded the application window for a given year to actually back up into the previous year. So for 2024, beginning August 1, so coming up soon, people will be able to apply uh, for next year's hunt the year before. So in the fall prior, whereas historically that's been June 1, or excuse me, January 1 through April 30. So we back that up to now August 1st through April 30th of the year of the hunt. Uh, you can apply and in our system is um, this has not changed, but our system is you can apply once for each permit type. In Kentucky, we have an either sex archery crossbow. We have a firearm bull and a firearm cow permit. Hmm. And we also for youths 15 and under, uh, they can also apply for a, a special youth permit, which is a it's just a tremendous opportunity for youths. Uh, there are 25 permits in that pool, and uh, anyone, again, 15 and under can apply for that. It's, again, random drawing for anyone in that pool, and uh, youths who are drawn can hunt with any method, that is, any type of equipment that's legal for elk in any season. Mm-hmm. So a resident or even, you know, a non-resident, good, if they didn't harvest one during the archery crossbow season, they could come back, uh, hunt during uh, the firearm season with a, with a firearm, and... Uh, it's just a tremendous opportunity. We have a very, very high success rate in general, about 40% currently um, for people harvesting their elk. And then uh, for youths, it's it's almost 100% because uh, they have that opportunity to you know, return, come back. So we've expanded our elk hunt application window. There is a new deadline. We previously did not have a deadline for the purchase of permits. 
if you're drawn for an elk hunt. And now there's a deadline for those who are selected in the general drawing of June 15th. So we, we announce the results in early May, usually no later than May 15th. It varies a little bit depending on the calendar. We actually contract out our drawing to a third party. The state's IT agency does that for us. And then a, a separate auditing company actually audits the results. And so we're not directly involved in that. They deliver the results for announcement and they deliver them to us for uploading into our system to make those available to the applicant to see. And uh, so that's all available by, by mid-May. And then folks have until mid-June, June 15th at midnight Eastern time to purchase their permit. Um, we started a program uh, this year related, uh, it's, it's in the elk hunt program, but it's called the loyalty redraw. We, we did have a lot of folks historically over the 23 years we've been uh, offering a hunt who wanted a preference point system, they say, well, I've been applying every year, I'm, I'm applying consistently, but I'm not being drawn, you know, create a preference point system, create kind of uh, some kind of system where we're, we're uh, rewarded for our long-time applications. We, we create a program, it's not a preference point system, but it does take permits that are not purchased by that June 15th deadline and set those leftover permits aside for people who have applied the most consecutive years without ever being drawn. And currently that's limited to residents. However, if someone from another state has applied the most consecutive years that year and they become a Kentucky resident, they would be eligible. So we encourage folks, non-residents included, to if you've, you know, you've applied or you start applying, apply every year because you would have that loyalty redraw secondary drawing uh, as an, an added opportunity for you to get drawn if you haven't ever before. And so um, we, we do have folks, obviously, a very mobile society, folks that move around. So uh, we encourage people to, uh, to be, be loyal. There is a reward there for you. So we awarded 15 leftover permits this year um, to the pool of 62 people who had applied every single year without ever being drawn. And um, they're really excited to get out this year and hunt for the first time. So, so you had 15 leftovers? We did, yeah. Wow. It's actually that seems uh, like a significant number out of 600, 600 tags, surprising. right? Yeah, historically, we've had about uh, 10% actually of permits left over. And, uh, you know, we, we don't know all the reasons. We know anecdotally, some folks, they have a change in job, they move. Uh, some folks with the military, we have uh, several military installations here in Kentucky. We know some people get drawn and, and uh, we've made a change to accommodate uh, military folks as well. Um, if they're drawn for a permit and they uh, beginning this year, they um, are stationed elsewhere, they're moved overseas, whatever, will allow them to defer their permit for up to two years. And so that's a change. But, but yeah, we, we've had about 10% on average each year that go unpurchased. And so we wanted to capture that opportunity and offer it again uh, to hunters. And that's part of the impetus for the loyalty redraw in addition to benefiting those folks who have applied every single year or the most consecutive years. Uh, but yeah, is that year, any? Um, it does the does the applicant the the consistent applicant? Do they need to do anything, or do you guys just monitor? You maintain the uh, or you monitor that, and you know who's going to get them if they. Excellent question. They, yeah, we, yeah, we do monitor that, and so we actually uh, our IT staff uh, did some yeoman work and put a little widget in people's my profile account that shows them their number of loyalty years, uh, and so the, it actually uh, will give them an idea of like uh, where they stand in the relative uh, loyalty uh, redraw process or cohort. 
that they're in. And uh, so we notify those folks um, before the drawing and then how many permits are available, you know, that we're going to be doing this loyalty redraw. And then we give them a heads up, hey, you, you were selected if they were, uh, and you need to purchase your permit by June 30, a sort of a secondary permit uh, uh, deadline, purchasing deadline there. So, yeah, we do uh, go to every effort possible to let folks know, uh, and we'll continue to do that in the future if, if they're part of that loyalty redraw cohort for a given year. Cool. So we're going to get more into the draw and, and some of these other things. And I, I want to move on to some other species. I have a couple of just questions about the elk population. So you've been there for, for 28 years, you said. Mm -hmm. How has that changed? And when did the elk population become, um, did, when did it become a, a, a enough elk in, it, there that you could hunt them? That's a great question, too. Um, we started our elk restoration program in 1997, and it was a, a five-year program, very, very uh, aggressive, uh, and I say it in a positive way, a, a very uh, uh, high, you know, high bar, a threshold uh, to try to make sure we had success, uh, regardless of, you know, mortalities. There, there's always, when you move animals, a little bit of mortality even though we go to great lengths to try to ensure there's, you know, health in animals that were quarantined on the front end before they're moved and, you know, tested for disease where we could and that kind of thing. But we actually had very, very good survival, uh, very good success in the animals being moved. And over the course of that five years, we moved 1,500 uh, elk. And it may be, in fact, I believe it is the largest large mammal uh, restoration program and translocation program in U.S. history, maybe in world history. But we moved those from, uh, I think, five different western states. Uh, the largest number came from Utah. They were having some concentrated uh, elk damage issues with private landowners, and we got their cooperation and, and permission from some of those landowners to, to come in working with the Utah State Agency. Um, and, you know, over again, over those five years, moved like 1,550 elk and um, they've just done tremendously well, very low uh, mortality, good reproduction. Uh, we've had, um, you know, a, a number of record book uh, bulls taken um, in, in history. Uh, we, we almost every year have a new record, um, a record bull for Kentucky, a state record. Uh, and so we've had some that have scored you know, approaching 400, several over 400 in history of the uh, tiny little bulls. Yeah, doing great, <laughs> doing fantastic. And um, we've gradually ratcheted up the, the number of permits available for hunters, residents and non-residents. We started out, I think, with like a dozen permits the first year and have gradually increased that over time. And now we offer about 600 permits through the drawing. And so we're, you know, we appreciate all of our partners out there across the states, but you know each of us have our bragging points. And for Kentucky, we're we're uh, among other things, we have the largest herd and hunt east of the Rocky Mountains. And so, our our current model population model estimate is above ten thousand. Uh, it's currently around thirteen thousand elk, and they occupy about a, a four million acre area in southeastern Kentucky. So nestled in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, there in the, the southeastern part of the state is. Uh, free-ranging herd that again anybody anywhere can apply to hunt and um, and have very good odds of hunting if they put in some time and effort and so uh, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity i've had the privilege of knowing a few folks that have been drawn and going out and helping folks with their hunts and um, the average hunter sees 
multiple bulls and cows on their hunt. And uh, if hunters put in at least a day or two of scouting and, and then hunt at least five days, um, they're, they're almost insured. And again, no guarantees, but folks who do put in that legwork in that time have a much higher success than a person, as you might imagine, who casually goes out and you know hunts for a day or two, maybe didn't scout. Um, so if you come in with the mindset of elk hunting from the west, or this is this is uh, not you know like whitetail hunting where you might go up in a stand and, and see 20, 20 deer a day or whatever, it's um, uh, your odds of harvesting an elk are are very very good in Kentucky, and uh, and you know you have a good shot at harvesting a real a real high quality bull if you're interested in bull hunting. That's a, that's a really, really cool story about the, just the reintroduction and, and how that they're being maintained. I, I think that's really cool. I'd love to hear more about that. Is, is the person or the people that were involved in that, are they still around? You know, uh, we do have some staff who are involved. Many have moved on or retired since then. We do have some staff actually who were involved in the oak program, actually worked either in the oak program as biologists um, who still still work in that from the, from that from that era, um, or were involved in the translocation, um, and you know went to pick up elk from from some of those corral traps, or uh, involved in the transportation from the western states. Um, so yeah, we do still have some here, and uh, although they're not currently serving, some of our commission members who are behind that who really helped to get the ball rolling uh, are still out there. They're avid sports people and. Uh, it is a tremendous story and so many people speaking to that so many people involved you know over the last uh um 25 plus years in that uh restoration and, and management and research effort uh from you know universities university of kentucky and other partners uh to you know local landowners who allowed us to release elk there on uh, forest lands or coal reclaimed coal mine properties which is where a lot of these um elk were released uh, and then recently we, we had sort of what may be the final sort of leg of the restoration um, race or pro- process was we, we moved some elk into one of the restoration designated restoration counties, McCreary County uh, in, again, in southeast Kentucky there, where we didn't previously have a population that had established. Elk just hadn't moved over there. There were some physical barriers, um, interstate and some other things that that were a natural uh, sort of a uh, challenge for the elk to, to move over into that county. And so we we uh, trapped and relocated um, uh, over 40, I think it was 43 elk um, last year. So in 2022, move those over in the winter. And so we're looking forward to seeing that area uh, population uh, expand in that county and, and us offer some hunting opportunities there too. But we wow. have... We do have elk units where we try to spread out the hunter opportunity and the pressure. And so once a person, if they're drawn for a permit, then they can apply for a unit. And so if they know a particular WMA wildlife area or private land in a unit, or if they just want to hunt, you know, particular geography or area, they can then apply for a unit. And we have a, a second drawing or a, a unit area drawing subsequent to the, uh, the permit drawing. Um, and uh, so anyway, we have these multiple units. Uh, that span the area, um, a lot of public land. We have several hundred thousand acres of public land in that four million acres of, um, of elk zone. And um, folk, folks can find out who want to learn more can go to our website, fw.ky.gov, and you know, really look at all that and get the ins and outs. And uh, folks who are drawn 
we provide direct access. You mentioned uh, folks who are involved in the elk hunt or elk restoration process. Our elk program is very accessible to the hunter. They respond to emails, they take calls, uh, they do webinars, provide a lot of information for the elk hunter who's drawn. So even if you're not familiar at all with Kentucky, uh, you can come in, learn the process from our elk program, from our website, directly interacting with our staff um, and your own scouting and, and again, have a very high likelihood of success and just, you know, enjoy a, a new type of hunting uh, in the Appalachians for elk. Really, really cool. That 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 whole story is cool. A- after we're done recording today, I may see if we can dig up a couple of names because I, I think sure. that would be a really neat story to just have that entire reintroduction and the process from the eyes of a biologist to to come on and talk about how did they how Absolutely. do we do something like that? So, um, we'll, after we're done recording this, the rules and regs and opportunity type stuff, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit more. Um, I think the next thing you had going here was uh, spring turkey. You're going to talk about some spring turkey hunting, something new for 2023. Yeah, yeah. So we do have a uh, like you know elk and and uh, in the case of white-tailed deer and wild turkey, which are uh, two of our more popular non-resident hunting attractions. We have over-the-counter permits. That's not changed, and uh, we've actually kept our bag limit the same. For um, most of my career statewide, it's it's uh, a two bird, a two gobbler bag limit in the spring, and so you can plan a hunt, come to Kentucky, purchase at a, a local license agent, or purchase your license and and turkey permit online, and then you know come and hunt. Um, we do have a change this year uh, in the spring season. You can only harvest one legal turkey in the spring per WMA or per wildlife state wildlife area. And so if an area is designated um, a wildlife management area or WMA, as they're named in many states, you can only harvest one per spring season. And so um, you could harvest one on one area and then go to another public area if you don't have private land access. Um, but that is a change for this year. Uh, but we would encourage you know people to check out our turkey uh, season. We had actually this year our second highest spring turkey harvest ever. I know a few states actually set records this year. So we had really good hatches uh, two years ago, had a lot of two-year-old birds out there on the landscape and um, and had a really good harvest. A lot of good reports from hunters, even seeing birds uh, last year as well. So we, we believe next year is gonna, gonna have a lot of two-year-old and, and older birds out there on the landscape too. Uh, yet to be seen on the, the hatch for this year. So we, we don't know what the Jake numbers will be like next year, but. Uh, there definitely will be uh, a good number of birds out there for next year. So we encourage people to check that out. Might be a spring Kentucky trip next year in my, in my future. We'll see. Very good. <laughs> uh, we, we have about 85, I think it may be 86 or 87 now state wildlife areas statewide. We have some, some large chunks of public land in the East. We have Daniel Boone national forest, which is about, um, I think about a hundred and uh, well, it's over a hundred thousand acres in, in the West. Uh, we have land between the lakes, which is another Forest Service property. It's a national recreation area, and it's it occupies about 177,000 acres. And those offer public opportunities in addition to, uh, again, I mentioned earlier, military, a couple of big military reservations, if you, especially if you have any military connections or a veteran. But, uh, but again, we have WMAs ranging from a few hundred acres up to um, tens of thousands of acres. So lots of different kinds of opportunities as well as private land. Um, so you mentioned WMAs several times um, so far. Let's let's kind of pause right here and talk about the 
how is Kentucky built, right? How are you guys separated? What, what do those WMAs look like? And where do you see the most game per each? Like, where are you seeing the most whitetail? Obviously, the elk you said are in the southeast. Where are you mm -hmm. seeing those turkeys? Um, can we talk through that a little bit, and then we'll keep going with these last couple of points that you have? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's um, uh, in Kentucky, <clears throat> you know, we're, we're considered a top whitetail state by m many different metrics. Um, so a lot of folks come to hunt whitetails, and people, we, we often get that question, okay, where's the best area to hunt whitetails? And the beauty of Kentucky, which was called uh, our region, this area was called the Happy Hunting Ground, by Native Americans historically, because it, it is uh, it's in that Midwestern, you know, on the edge of the Midwest, uh, which is uh, you know a kind of a deer mecca for whitetail hunters, um, offers generally speaking very good habitat, very good soils, uh, which supports you know good vegetation and, and uh, forage for deer, um, and there really isn't a bad county in Kentucky to hunt whitetails for. We have 120 counties. And we've had, not all have been submitted, but we've had record book, Boone and Crockett um, book, uh, deer taken in all of our counties. And I think we have, have had entries in at least 119 of the 120 counties. And I think we have one that may be submitted for that final county. But there's really not a bad place to hunt deer or turkey. Um, as far as the highest numbers of both, those would be uh, more so in central and western Kentucky, so the western two-thirds of the state. Uh, but even in eastern Kentucky, where the densities of, of both may be lower because they're primarily forested, not as much open land or habitat diversity, uh, for both deer and turkey, there are a lot of really good opportunities. Um, and again, the hunter densities would be lower in the eastern third of the state because most of our population is in the central and western part of the state. And so it really depends on what you want to go for. Um, we've recently, something that is new beginning last year, and it's really not a regulatory thing, it's more of a, a public communication and um, uh, informational uh, kind of a classification, but we, we began uh, what we call tiering. It's actually establishing management levels to communicate to the public what they can expect when they go to different types of WMAs or wildlife areas. So we have uh, a low, uh, moderate, and high management levels, and those basically equate to, for high, high management level areas, areas where we either have staff on site or close by, and they, they're able to do more intensive management. It might be prescribed burning actively. It might be planting you know, food, food plots or legume plots, or we might have uh, leased fields out for grains and some of that is left either a portion of that or some of the waste that's there for for game to take advantage of. Uh, we have moderate level areas where in that tier or that category we do some management there uh, but it's less intensive because of staff availability or proximity to those areas and then we have low management level intensity areas where uh, they may be remote. Uh, many of the, of the national forest sites are this way we don't have capacity because we don't have staff and equipment close by to go and do plantings or management activities on those. But those may be the kind of areas because they're they're rough. Uh, they may be more difficult to access. Uh, they may be less intensively managed and thus attract less people. And so some hunters who want that more wild or um, more remote 
kind of experience would want to target those areas. So it really just depends on, you know, what your expectations are. Uh, but we'd have that available. Those classifications are available on our website. Again, fw.ky.gov. You can search wildlife and then um, look for public lands or just go for hunt on our website. And then uh, you can go look for, you know, a search of public areas. And so you can look by that kind of classification or geographically. And there's lots of good map resources on our website as, as most state fish and wildlife agencies offer. But yeah, it really just wow. depends on what you're looking for. We've got everything from public dove fields, which we manage several dozen of those for public hunting, uh, to, again, intensively planting and burning and doing forest management on some of these areas. So um, we, we have the gamut available out there. Very nice. I kind of assumed that was going to be your answer. So when I was a younger younger man, a younger kid, I spent a lot of time in Kentucky from oh. from Red River Gorge on the west or the east side and joined the military and spent a lot of time in and around the Fort Knox area. And it's it is just beautiful landscape that I can only imagine houses some some amazing animals so i i've had i thought you would probably have an answer of that sort but yeah you know we we don't own directly own a lot of acreage we've got less than two hundred thousand acres that we currently own as an agency but uh, thankfully through partnerships with other state agencies federal agencies as i mentioned the forest service for example and then in many cases private landowners um, timber management companies uh, coal companies especially in eastern kentucky uh, we're able to offer um, more than a ha uh, one and a half million acres of public land uh, for hunting statewide. And so there's a tremendous amount of, of opportunity. We have about 25 million acres total in the state. Uh, only about 4% of that is public, uh, but a lot of that is, is hunting or is um, available for public hunting. And so again, we're thankful to all of our partners really who make that possible because we, we own really a very small proportion of the land. Okay. And those maps um, to view all of that opportunity is on your website, you said? Yes. And we okay. used to publish or print copies of that. We, we don't do that anymore because people can print their own. Most people are using mobile devices to access those anyway. And yeah. as soon as we printed those things, uh, they would be antiquated, you know, sometimes within a month or two, just because we're continuously adding public lands and um, we aggressively do that, our, our wildlife staff and engineering and fishery staff are, are out there, have their finger on the pulse of, of uh, real estate that comes available. And we're aggressively pursuing grants to try to acquire those lands whenever we can. But uh, yeah, please do visit our website to find maps and, uh, and target areas that you're interested in. Very good. Okay, thank you. And I, I apologize for that tangent, but we had started to mention those WMAs quite a bit. And I, I just wanted to make sure that people were were familiar with some of the terms that we're using. Absolutely. As we, and that as is important forward. because a lot of our non-residents, the out-of-state hunters do come and, you know, hunt public land. So that, that is yeah. an important point. Good. Okay. We left off uh, feeding and baiting of wildlife. This was another new change for 2023. Yeah, and you know, our surveys indicate that about half of our hunters um, don't know the distinction between the non-resident and the resident. If, if someone who's a non-resident comes to Kentucky to hunt with family or leases property, um, they, they could use uh, bait or feed. But yeah, our commission voted last year to extend the, the baiting and feeding ban in the spring into the summer. Uh, to avoid issues for young wildlife, especially deer and turkeys, but other wildlife as well, with aflatoxins and other potential issues for them. And then also concentrating young wildlife around you know, feeders or feeding sites. 
that might um, heighten their risk of predation and thus low, you know, lower the recruitment into the huntable population. So um, currently our, our uh, feeding prohibition statewide is from March 1 through July 31. So that was extended from the end of May through now the end of July. And again, the interest there is sustainable game populations, sustainable wildlife populations to benefit the hunter. And so there's still an opportunity after that July uh, ending time frame, beginning in August, to start putting out you know food or bait uh, for game. I do want to call out that for a couple of years now we've had a chronic wasting disease surveillance zone in five western counties in the state, and that's because we we haven't found CWD ever in Kentucky, but there is an occurrence uh, or some some deer that have been tested positive in northwestern Tennessee, and so. Uh, within our surveillance zone, uh, which is in a 30-mile radius of that occurrence in Tennessee, we don't allow baiting in those five counties. And so we'd encourage folks who are interested in coming to Kentucky and might want to use feed or bait uh, to be aware of that prohibition because they could get cited if they put out, uh, you know, feed, corn, whatever, um, in that area. And that does include salt and mineral just in those five counties. And so we want to make you know, make sure we protect our resource there, not do anything that concentrates deer in an area that could be higher prone to uh, CWD, you know, coming in and spreading there. And that's the reason for that for that uh, restriction year round in that five county area. Understood. Yeah, I had Tennessee on a couple of weeks ago, and we they they talked a bit about their CWD that they had and being up in that that corner also. So. Um, good to know. What about your September goose hunting season? Yeah, so we, we did, we've had a, a September goose uh, opportunity, hunting opportunity here for, for many years um, and, and do a lot of banding. Uh, so the kudos to our biologists who provide the data to support that with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service so that allow us to offer this special September season. Um, it's, you know, primarily for resident geese, but there is a lot of opportunity statewide. And uh, commission voted uh, uh, last year to put in place, uh, which is new, relatively new for us now, a, um, a separation of Western and Eastern counties. Um, and there, there have been some changes in use, habitat use patterns that our commission you know, keyed in on and, and then wanted to set these seasons separately. <clears throat> so as far as the exact County distribution within those zones, we'd again encourage people to go to our website, uh, check out those if they're interested in coming to Kentucky to hunt that September season. But there's a, a, a zone in, in East Kentucky uh, that offers hunting from September 16 to 30. And then in Western Kentucky, it's, it's September 1st to 15th. And so again, we'd encourage people to go to fw.ky.gov uh, to look at those counties and any other specific things there. I touched on baiting. Most of our hunters probably know, you know, for migratory birds, you can't do any baiting, but there's a lot of good opportunities, um, whether silage fields or harvested grain, um, uh, wheat fields that have been harvested, things that are normal agricultural practices that they could key in on and hunt that, that September season and have good opportunity. But yeah, I appreciate you calling that out. That is a new change for us. Good. Okay. Very good. And then there's uh, another change on here about bear permits. Yeah, so uh, bear hunting has been open to non-residents for the last uh, few years, and we have a growing population of bears in, in the eastern uh, fourth or so of the state in the Appalachian region. 
Um, but we've added the opportunity for non-residents to come, to come and use dogs. And so they can uh, use dogs to chase um, and, uh, and pursue bears as well. So we have new bear chase permits available, which would be for folks who want to come and you know, directly bring their own dog or be involved in a chase. So if they participate in a cast, they just need to get that chase permit. Uh, but just to clarify, if they're hunting, if they intend to, to pursue a bear themselves to try to take it, they would also need a hunting permit. So you need a hunting and a chase permit if you want to use dogs while you're, you know, personally pursuing that bear or trying to harvest a bear yourself. But that okay. is a new opportunity too. And we'll get into those licensing requirements here in just a minute, and we'll be able okay. to talk a bit more about that. I did have a follow-on question there. That um, The bear season, does that overlap with any other opportunity? So, for example, if you were hunting whitetail, would you be able to have a bear permit at the same time? Yeah, it, 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 uh, yes, you can. And it depends on the area that you're in. And, and without getting too far in the weeds, I would encourage people to check out our website. Yep. So there are some areas that are, we call them bear refuges. And they're basically core areas, habitat areas that are going to be source populations, um, regardless of the harvest outside that area where a bear will continue to feed the surrounding areas. And so, um, there are some restricted areas, those refuge areas, and then there's some counties that are off limits to bear hunting. And so folks would want to check out our website. But yes, uh, there are places where you can hunt for both. Typically, there's not a firearm season open for both at the same time, but you could bring your, your bow and, and potentially, you know, harvest either. And so by all means, you know, check out our website and those opportunities sure. in the bear zone, in the, in the bear hunting area. Uh, we actually have two zones uh, based on the density densities of bears from our research. And so the, the season's a little bit longer in one of the zones than the other. Um, and so that they offer a little bit more opportunity in that, in that zone too. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, that, uh, that is a, a real, real possibility and, and hunters definitely would want to check that out whether they want to come and could potentially harvest a, you know, turkey, deer or bear. Uh, in, in certain parts of the state. So there, there's definitely a lot of opportunity for that uh, that home run or grand slam in Kentucky. Yeah, shooting shooting for the fences. The <laughs> I think that's good to know too is because a lot of times people, if there's multiple opportunities at the same time, that might lure someone into the state, right? They say, well, I could... I could go shoot a turkey and a deer and a bear all all at the same time with my bow or what whatever if yeah. they do overlap that way. So really, really good opportunity there and and it sounds like. Um, Sandhill cranes. Yeah, so we did have a change with Sandhill cranes. We, we have uh, a drawing for Sandhill crane permit. so it, it like elk uh, is a, a species that's a little more tightly managed just because of more limited numbers. In this case, these are cranes that migrate here and, and are either stopover um, users or they uh, winter here for the better part of the winter. Um, most of our cranes are concentrated in south central Kentucky, and so they're coming down from states you know to our north. And so as conditions um, worsen for them, make it more difficult for them to forage, and there's freezing, uh, so water or uh, Mud flats are frozen over. It's more difficult for them to pick grain, waste grains, or foods to the north of us. They migrate down, and, and they're here often in December or early January, uh, offering that opportunity. But people have to apply, and it's a good plug also 
for me to mention that our uh, most of our quota hunt applications, uh, like sandhill cranes, are taken in September. And so encourage uh, folks who might want to come and uh, hunt for a quota a deer hunt on WMAs with a firearm. Uh, many of our firearm opportunities for hunting deer in um, the fall, in uh, typically November, December, a few in January, um, are the first weekends of those months. They're dedicated on some WMAs for what we call quota hunts or drawing type hunts. And folks have to apply during the month of September for those. In addition to Sandhill Crane, we also have a handful of other quota opportunities. There's quota hunting for waterfowl on some of our premier waterfowl areas just because of demand. And then also we have a few uh, quota hunts for doves beginning this year. And so folks, um, whether they want to bring a mentor or bring a youth out to mentor on a public area uh, where we planted dove fields, they can get in on that special opportunity. So if you're in a neighboring state or uh, just want to come here during the month of September to dove hunt, maybe um, pursue geese, uh, maybe to, to bow hunt for deer uh, or turkeys, uh, you can throw your name in the hat and potentially get a slot to dove hunt as well. Hmm. So those are all, uh, again, uh, that, that application process is on our website. You can search uh, hunt or click on hunt and then search for quota hunts and, uh, and enter, throw your name in the hat for one of those uh, drawing type hunts as well. Awesome. Okay. Man, there's, it seems we're not even halfway through this stuff and there's already a ton of opportunity in Kentucky. <laughs> um, so there's an important note here. We, we don't have to go too deep into this, but um, you had changes to regulations are highlighted in blue at the beginning of your regulation, um, which you call a guide. I think that's important to note because, you know, having them stand out or look differently for those changes is, is really important. And especially having them in the front of the guide makes mm -hmm. it even more easy for people to recognize them and, and read those and, and identify changes. Yes. And so we do, we have uh, what we call guides here in Kentucky. Uh, some States call regulations digests or uh, regulation summaries, but uh, not to be confused with someone who takes you hunting uh, or assists you in your hunt as a guide or outfitter. We call those booklets or publications guides and the current guide for what's in season right now is always published both for hunting and for fishing on our website but we also do still print those and those are available at licensed agents so your uh, sporting goods stores your bait bait and tackle shops uh, hunting and, and ammo stores uh, most of those are licensed agents we have several hundred statewide and so you can pop into the, to the walmart or again the sporting goods store uh, bait and tackle and, and pick up one of those if, if you want, you know, if you prefer, prefer to have a copy in your hand. Uh, but again, those are also available um, uh, online uh, through our, our mobile friendly um, version of our website. We don't have an app yet. We're working on that uh, statewide app, but um, but we, we do have those available on our website and the most up to date uh, is, is uh, published there. Okay, good. Yeah, we had talked about that before we started recording that the, the most up to date information will be on the website. I, I like to encourage people and I know it, maybe I'm getting old. Um, because phones have everything on them in today's world. But I always tell people when you're buying that license to pick up that paper copy and at least have it in your truck or toss it in the, your backpack or whatever, because you may be somewhere and not have service and not be able to get to that regulation. And then if you have that paper copy and 
there's a question or there's you know something that you're maybe misunderstanding at least you you have it available um, exactly that's right yeah. and it's not it doesn't hurt to to download a pdf copy you know if you want to keep it on your phone and have a resident there uh, on your device um, since we don't have it uploaded into an app uh, that's um, available you know 24 7 regardless of geography you can save a copy on your device you know your tablet okay, good. or phone good. yeah that i think that's great too because then in some then you can even search it right you can, you can search right. for key terms if it's on your phone so that's, so we that's do, a good to your point tip. we do call out changes in blue font throughout the guide and highlight on those most important most salient things up in the very front on the first you know more or less like the frontispiece of the of the guide it's it's uh, loud and proud in blue font whereas the rest is mostly black we call it out so people can see that hopefully perfect um next up we had important dates and reminders i think you hit this pretty good on previously talking through the sand hill crane was there anything that you wanted to add to that important date and reminder that you already spoke about I don't think so, but I will call out um, folks can have more or less a one-stop shop for applying, buying their license, looking at results for drawings in their what we call my profile account. So it's more or less like a, your individualized profile or personal account with Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources, and that's your my profile. And so if you go to our website and click on my profile. If you've never, even if you've never purchased the license here before, you can set up a my profile in advance. Um, and then when you when you apply, when you when you buy, um, forever we're going to have you identified as an individual. It's easy for you, you know, to go in and uh, find your whatever information. You can go in, reprint licenses for free, no charge there. You can look up uh, if you have your hunter ed credentials or boater education uploaded. Uh, that's available to you as well. And so it's a we consider it kind of a one-stop shop um, for buying and applying and then checking results on applications. So again, that's called My Profile. But I just highlight that you can go in and apply for any of our quota hunts, anything uh, that you're interested in, our elk hunt drawing beginning August 1, um, and purchase your license and permit. And you know, something I'll, I'll point out too, Chad, um, in Kentucky for big game, uh, our, our, our nomenclature, our terminology is a little bit different in each state. In Kentucky, for big game, you need an annual hunting license plus the big game permit or permits that you're going to be pursuing game four. And so for a deer, you need an annual non-resident hunting license and a deer permit. Uh, for a bear, you would need an, an annual hunting license, again, for non-residents and um, a, a non-resident bear permit. And most states, you know, have a differentiation between resident and non-resident, so that's not new to most of your audience, but but we do require both. So the permits and the licenses are distinct in Kentucky, and if you're hunting big game, you need both. Understood. And do you also need a hunter education to go along with the, those requirements? Yeah, excellent question. Uh, for Kentucky, that requirement is effective for anyone who is, is born after January 1 of 1975. And so for most of our audience, most of our hunters or prospective hunters, you're going to need hunter education and any state's hunter ed certification, as long as the state uh, credential is recognized by that state, it's valid for Kentucky. Um, in Kentucky, if you complete your hunter education here or with us, so you want to be certified by Kentucky, we do still require a range, uh, what we, call, we call it a range day, a range component or range portion where you have to basically demonstrate 
uh, safe handling and discharge of a firearm to a hunter education instructor. Uh, but uh, if you've taken an online course in another state and you didn't have a range component, that's totally acceptable as long as you can produce that credential, your card, certification number, um, a copy of your license showing that credential on it or number, that's fine. Uh, but we do, uh, we do offer both online and in-person courses here in Kentucky. So if somebody wanted to take a, you know, a course here while they're visiting family for a holiday and go hunting, they can do that here. They just need to get the range day taken uh, before they go afield. We'll also mention um, a workaround for that. If they come to hunt and they're with a partner, a friend who is hunter ed certified, who's an adult, they can purchase our apprentice opportunity, which we call a temporary hunter education permit. It's a one year, uh, like I say, kind of a workaround to hunter education requirement where you can hunt with someone who's certified in hunter education to be your mentor in the field and basically to guide you. Um, again, it's not a judgment on whether or not you're safe in the field, but it provides a means of us kind of vetting someone who might come out in the field and making sure they're safe with someone else who is certified and knows the ropes as far as hunting goes. That's available for 365 days from the date of purchase. And so if you come here and you're with a, with a friend, a hunting buddy, and you don't have hunter ed, don't let that be a deterrent. You can get that uh, one year exemption permit. It's currently free uh, and hunt for that year, that season, and you'll be covered. I think that's really good to introduce people in, into hunting. It gives them that chance. Maybe they just go out one time a year, you know, and they, but they, they have that opportunity and they don't have to buy a bunch of licenses. Obviously you need to go and, and get the license, but it's free. My, you know, free is, is free. It helps. So absolutely. Yeah. We'll touch quickly on the small game for bearer migratory birds. There's some okay. requirements for that as well. Uh, what do you got there? Yeah, basically uh, for migratory bird hunting in Kentucky, uh, I believe like most states now, we have a separate state permit. And the reason that's required is because data are needed for those species. Migratory birds are regulated by not only the states, but the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And in order to sustain the populations for them, they need adequate data to be able to allocate hunting days and bag limits uh, or daily limits and season limits for those species. And so for us to to know who the hunters are and then follow up with them to survey how many days they spent hunting, how many they harvested, uh, how many states they hunted. Um, we need to be able to track them. And the way we do that is through this permit. So if you hunt doves, other migratory birds, including waterfowl, you'll need a state a Kentucky migratory bird slash waterfowl permit. And that covers you on this at the state level. In addition to any valid hunting license, even a one day hunting license to hunt those migratory birds or, or ducks or geese. Um, we'll also note if you're hunting waterfowl as in all states, you'd need a, 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 a federal duck stamp and that's available yeah, at right. post offices. You can also purchase it online through the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, and that's available, you know, for that particular season or license year. Very good. Okay, let's talk um, mandatory reporting. You, you were kind of talking about the, sort of briefly mentioned that during the waterfowl there, but let's talk mandatory reporting and check-in because I think that's super important for, for some game agencies to, to have that in order to, it helps with that, that population management, herd management. So Absolutely. You know, it's, it's vital for us in terms of collecting good data. It's also vital for the hunter to make sure they're, they're compliant, they're legal in the field. 
And in a nutshell, we require sort of a two-step process uh, for big game, and this would apply to deer, turkeys, bear, uh, elk, if you happen to be drawn for an elk permit and you, you purchase a permit and you're hunting and harvesting elk, um, sandhill cranes, and also otters and bobcats. And those are um, internationally regulated species that we cooperate with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in Canada and Mexico on. Um, so internationally, we have to ensure compliance as a state as well as the local, the individual hunter. But we have a, a two-step process where you have to complete a harvest log which is basically a written record of that harvest. And you can do that on the back of your hunting license. You can do it on your mobile phone as long as you can bring it up instantaneously and show it to an officer. We encourage people to write it down to make sure that in case their phone fails or battery dies, whatever, they lose service, whatever the case may be that they have it. But after they've completed that, that harvest log, that record where they've shown their, their county of harvest, the game species and the sex of the animal and the date, they also then, before midnight of that day, uh, they need to, to use our telecheck system either online through our website or by calling 1-800-CHK-GAME, 1-800-CHECK-GAME. And that number, again, is on our hunting guides and on our website um, to, to telecheck or report the full Monty of information about that harvest. And what that does is allow us to, to better manage that resource to provide the best opportunities we can for hunters. And if there's an issue, although that all that information is not an end in itself, it complements all the data we collect, um, you know, year round statewide, it is important. It's vital for us to know um, what the harvest is doing, you know, year to year in a given county. And then also we share that information. It's available to hunters uh, on demand on our website. We provide not only uh, roll-up information of, of harvests, as long as we've collected those data on our website for deer and turkey and uh, bear and, and elk, uh, but also it's available on a case-by-case -case basis. You can look up, if you think your neighbor's cheating the system, you can look up uh, to see whether they checked that deer they harvested on their property uh, or on a WMA. And so um, that's called telecheck review. But yes, thank you. We do have a, both a harvest uh, documentation requirement, we call a harvest log, and then also that telecheck requirement. It's due the day of your harvest by midnight of the day of the harvest. Okay, good, good deal. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, how many animals a person can take and every states call these different quotas or there's, you know, bag limits, yeah. whatever, whatever it might be. Uh, yeah. If somebody wanted to come in and, and hunt in Kentucky, what is their, their bag limit or quota? Yeah, so it does vary by species. Uh, some species have a daily limit, some don't. Since deer is our more, most popular uh, game species for non-residents, um, uh, there's no daily limit, but there is a season limit of one antler deer, one buck per year. So regardless of method, archery, crossbow, firearm, muzzleloader, whatever you're hunting with, you can only harvest one antler deer, and that would be you know, bone show and polished antler per year. We consider button bucks to be antlerless deer, so that if they've got um, velvet on the antler and it's below the hairline, that's considered a non-antler um, deer, so an antlerless deer, uh, like a doe or a, or a fawn. But um, you can harvest on your deer permit up to four deer, and so you could harvest one buck, one antler deer, and three does, or four does. 
uh, depending on where you're at in the state. Uh, we do in our zone four counties have a reduced, and again, depending on when people are listening to this, check the regulations online to make sure the county you're going to be hunting in or the counties, what the zone is for those counties, because we have, do have different requirements for different counties based on the zone. We have four zones. Zone one is the most liberal. You can actually, in that zone, purchase additional deer permits at a rate of $15 for two deer per permit. And you can harvest additional antlerless deer with those permits. Or if you've harvested four does, four antlerless deer with your first deer permit, you can purchase an additional deer permit in that zone one county or counties and harvest your buck on that additional deer permit. It's something we changed a few years ago to incentivize harvest of antlerless deer in those zone one counties where we're above management objective. We got more deer on the ground that we would ideally like to see from a habitat and, and social care and capacity standpoint. So for deer, again, no daily limit. You can harvest um, as many deer as you can harvest on your permit per day. But for turkeys, there's a limit of one harvest per day on public or private land. Elk, it's one deer or excuse me, one elk per season by state law. And so uh, that's even above our regulation that we can sort of set with more discretion ourselves. You can only harvest one elk per year per person. Uh, so there's not opportunity to harvest more than one there. The other, uh, what we call bag limits or daily limits are all outlined online. But I did want to touch on the, the deer and the turkey. Uh, bear is currently uh, one bear per, per year or season as well. Uh, so you can only harvest one of those currently per, per individual or per hunter. So we, um, I was going to move on to the draw system and I think you've already touched on the draw system pretty well. Um, but I do want to expand on just, just a touch. And that is uh, where do people access that? And so let's talk about sort of the administrative side of it. If you want to call it that, where do I go to find it? And just kind of, how do I get myself into the application to even select whether I want to try a deer quota or a elk or whatever it is. Okay. Good. Uh, again, since deer are our most popular non-resident uh, targeted quarry, I would say to folks, we, we again, whether it's archery, crossbow, firearm, or muzzleloader, you can buy an over-the-counter deer permit. There's no drawing for that, and so it's available to everyone. However, if you want to harvest uh, deer or pursue deer with a firearm on a WMA, that is a, a wildlife area, please check our website to see which areas have restrictions. Most of our WMAs, in fact, virtually all maybe all have archery and crossbow hunting open under statewide regulations, as we say. So those are open like season season round. You can harvest a, a deer or pursue deer that way with your license and, and deer permit. But a, a many of our, I think of about maybe 12 to 15 of our WMAs offer a special firearms opportunity we call a quota hunt. And so there's a drawing you have to enter in September to be selected. And if you're selected, then you can you can purchase uh, your permit to hunt that that area you're selected for. But again, that that's available through our website, fwi.ky.gov or gov. And you can apply during the month of September. You can go to my profile, set up an account and apply there, or you can search on our website for quota hunts and get to through the portal or the application window that way. Um, the other species, as I mentioned earlier, the elk hunt drawing, you can begin applying August 1 up through April 30th, the year of the hunt. 
Um, that's also done through a website. Um, you can apply for sandhill crane permits, waterfowl permits on a selected WMAs where we have kind of premier hunting, waterfowl hunting opportunities, and then also um, mentor youth and quota dove hunts on a few selected WMAs. And um, most of that is done during the month of September. The elk hunt drawing and some of the waterfowl drawings are done more either in season for waterfowl, so actually during the season, or for elk, it's August 1 through April 30th of the year of the hunt. And uh, please do check out our website for those applications. Um, so with the, I'm going to use elk as an example because you have it outlined here. There, if I wanted to apply for the elk draw, do I need my non-resident hunting license to apply? So Great I, question. Yeah, okay. many states, many states require that. We do not. Okay. So it's ten bucks per entry. Again, as I mentioned in the beginning, you can you can apply once for each permit type. So for adults or folks sixteen and older, you can apply for um, archery, crossbow, either sex, firearm, bull, or firearm cow. Youth can apply for those three plus the special youth permit, either sex, any method, and. Uh, you don't have to have a license or permit in Kentucky. You don't have to have ever had one. Um, now, if you, you're drawn for the hunt, obviously you have to purchase your annual hunting license plus that elk permit for that year. It's, if you're drawn, it's $400 for um, cows. The either sex and the bull permits are $550. So it's $550 for those. And the hunting license, annual hunting license for non-resident is $150. Okay. Yeah, that's a fair price i think for for elk yeah and just that's 10 about bucks what standard. we pay out so here in the west it's very similar beat, you know? yeah if you want to throw your name in the hat for 10 bucks very few states you can get in sort of on the front end or, or apply for just ten dollars and so you can apply for all three for 30 bucks and uh you know have a shot at being drawn we do cap the number of permits for elk for non-residents at 10 percent total and so once 10 percent of the permits are allotted to non-residents in this random drawing then we we cut that off but at about 600 permits, you know, we're talking about 60-ish permits. And so there's a fair number of permits that are available to non-residents in a given year. About how many non-resident applications do you get, do you think, uh, you know, we, off the top of your it head? It does vary year to year. Uh, we, we probably get our permit applications for elk is usually in the 75 to 100,000 applications. And so um, roughly half of those you know, ballpark about half of those applic total applications are non-residents. Um, so it might be in the 30 to any given year, 30 to 50,000 applications from non-residents. Yeah. I'll let the listeners do totally the math random, on that. So what their, anybody their in any year has got a shot. Yeah. Well, but it's a shot, right? For 10 bucks. It's, it's almost silly. I, I know August 1st, I know what I'm going to be doing. I can tell you that. That's absolutely. Put in, yeah. get drawn again. And I guess just a quick reminder here is the August 1st is when you can apply for that elk permit, but that's for 2024. That's right. The right. 2023 okay. permits have already been drawn and uh, folks are, you know, doing their scouting, uh, getting ready to do their hunting already. Good for them. Good for them. Uh, okay. So um, there's a draw system. We talked about draw system. Refunds. Um, I guess there's probably not really a refund if you don't have to pay for the application up front or that that 10 bucks that's right we don't have that and and i would just encourage folks you know make sure you're going to come hunt 
and you can buy your license the day of your hunt, but we don't offer refunds except within four hours. If you realize you purchased the wrong license or permit and you can detect that within four hours from your purchase, or maybe you went to an agent and they sold you the wrong permit by accident, you can take that back to the agent and they'll take care of that for, for you. Refund that, make sure you get your right permit or license before your hunt. Um, if you do happen to purchase the wrong one, again, we can work with you. Uh, we do this for some of our residents. They may purchase what they thought was the right license for them, and we can work to exchange it uh, for the correct license. But once the season starts, we don't even do those exchanges. In other words, it's, it's already in force. You may have used it, um, but, but a true refund is only available the first four hours after your purchase. Okay, good. How about outfitted hunts? Do you guys offer any, well, I, I know the state doesn't generally offer outfitted hunts, but is there that opportunity? Is it allowed in Kentucky? Yeah, there are a number of licensed guides. Uh, we don't, in law here, we don't have outfitters identified uh, per se. There may be guides out there who have an outfitting sort of service, but they're considered under our law currently as guides as well. Uh, so anyone who's working for them for pay is considered a guide. Um, but yes, there are a number of those. We don't have a registry or a listing of those because it changes over time. Um, anyone who has current status, you might ask them for a copy. If someone out there is interested in hunting with a guide or an outfitter, you might ask them for a copy of their current license to make sure they're on the up and up. Um, but yeah, there are a number uh, out there for uh, elk, deer, uh, bear, you know, all these different species, turkeys, especially big game. Um, I would just throw this out there for elk. Uh, we have a lot of do-it-yourself hunters who hunt for elk and their success rate is good. It's very good. So you don't have to get a, a guide. You can DIY hunt and come here with a very reasonable opportunity uh, or likelihood of success here in Kentucky. And so don't let that be a deterrent, unfamiliarity be a deterrent for you. If you're not familiar with, with our landscape or uh, with the Elk Zone particularly, um, you can learn it and, and go out and, and do it and be successful. But there are, there are guides available for folks out there. Okay, good. Yeah, and you had on here just via online search. So if you if you are lucky and you draw that elk tag and that's the route you want to go, then Google it and and you'll you'll get what you're looking for. Yes. Uh, we've already touched a couple of these other topics, so I'm going to kind of cruise through those. Um, briefly, we can touch on the price of tags. I know you spoke about the elk the elk cost already, but what about deer, turkey, and bear permits? Absolutely. So the, the non-resident uh, would again need their annual hunting license for big game. So deer, bear, turkey, elk, if they had to be drawn. Um, I don't think I mentioned that bear permits are available over the counter, including for non-residents. And so uh, again, you just have to follow the, the seasons, the one bear limit, if you happen to be fortunate enough to harvest those. We do require um, a, a physical check on bears because it's still a growing population. We're collecting a lot of data on those bears. And we have, a, I think it's last year, we had a little over 120 bears harvested in the Eastern uh, bear zones. And so um, the, the annual hunting license, as I mentioned earlier, is $150 for non-residents. The non-resident deer permit is 185. So you'd have to have that 150 hunting license plus a $185 deer permit. Um, a non-resident spring turkey permit, which again is a, po a popular attraction, that's $85, so very reasonable in addition to your annual hunting license. Uh, the non-resident bear permit is 250 
And then again, for elk, a bull permit or either sex permit is 550 and a cow permit is 400. And so again, with all those, you need an annual hunting license and um, the non-resident permit for the given species that you're interested in. Very good. Uh, let's talk about removing the animal from the state. So we've talked about getting there. We've talked about what you need. If you do happen to harvest an animal, is there any considerations that need to be taken when removing that animal from the state? It's generally kind of geared towards CWD or any of those other type of uh, disease concerns. Um, you yes. say you guys don't really have CWD, but uh, I'll yeah, let you kind we've of never detected it. Yeah, we've tested about 40,000 deer uh, in the last 20 to 25 years. And thankfully, we've never found it. Um, you know, it may be a matter of time. We don't know. At this point, we're doing everything we can to keep a CWD free. And, and part of that is not allowing importation into Kentucky of any deer that have been uh, harvested elsewhere and are, are intact. So a carcass would have to be uh, deboned before it's brought into Kentucky. Um, so only the meat brought here. And then um, the skull or uh, head would have to be cleaned or taxidermied. So no, no soft tissue, no brain matter, no spine, um, and just the meat brought here. But yeah, as far as um, exporting, we'd encourage folks to check any state that you're going to be traveling through. Because Kentucky is CWD free, you can, you can harvest a deer theoretically and legally take it to another state um, intact. Hopefully, you know, field dressed, eviscerated and cooled, but you could take it intact to another state. However, you can't bring them into Kentucky. Uh, we actually are, are prosecuting a case right now with someone who did bring a deer in, uh, had an intact head, brought it in from another state where CWD had been detected previously. And so we're not only seeking criminal, but also civil, civil penalties for that. But um, we would encourage folks again to, to check their uh, states and the states they'll be traveling through requirements. Uh, to know I'm going to be helping a young hunter come to Kentucky and hunt from another state. And I advised him, hey, you, you've got to know not only what what the case is in your state, but also the states you're going through this fall um, to be able to legally hunt. And uh, most many, many states, it is deboning. And that's the safest way, you know, debone, take the bones out of your meat, clean, totally clean that skull, cape it out, you know, take off the antlers, take off the um, the. Uh, tape off the skull and then if you're going to keep the skull not skull cap it um, go ahead and you know clean that skull boil it um, or cut off all the meat and all the soft tissue and make sure that uh, before you travel with it it's legal because you don't want to have that confiscated you go to all that trouble to harvest that animal yeah yep for sure uh since we're talking requirements we'll move on to weapons requirements and i don't think we need to go too deep here because i know you guys have it very well outlined in your regulation or your your guide um, but uh, anything that we need to be aware of as far as requirements go for weapons no i'll just mention our seasons here are partitioned uh, especially for deer uh, but also for elk um, turkey and bear they're partitioned by time frame or season segment and method type and so we'd encourage folks to check the website uh, we don't have special permits by method type or by equipment so if you purchase a deer permit, you could conceivably come and, and hunt all the season segments. You could hunt, you know, archery, crossbow, rifle, uh, muzzleloader. Um, if you, you know, if you're game to, to travel across state lines and come back here in different season segments, which is a great, again, a great opportunity for hunting in Kentucky. 
Um, also throw in there uh, for blaze orange because it relates to the big game species for deer, elk, and bear. When a, a firearm season is open in the county or the area that you're in, you have to wear as a hunter blaze orange. And that's two pieces. You got to wear a cap or a hat of some kind. And then you also have to wear either a vest or a jacket or shirt that's solid blaze orange. You can have a logo or a, you know something like that or a text on there for your brand, favorite brand or whatever. But you need to have basically solid, not camo blaze orange on your chest your back and also your head while you're hunting any of those big game or if you're hunting while a firearm season is open in kentucky either statewide or in the county you're in for deer bear and elk okay so if you're archery hunting during a rifle season you need orange you got to wear your orange yeah, that's right. what about if you have a backpack on so a lot of diy kind of backcountry style hunters do they need yeah. they got the vest on but they have a backpack that's covering up a major portion of that vest is it required to have anything on that backpack also? It is. So your back needs to be visible. What we'd encourage folks to do is basically, you know, take a vest or take a, a shirt or a, a bandana and, you know, pin that, drape that across the back of that backpack so it's visible. And of course, you know, for your own safety, other hunters can see it, but also the officer can see it from a distance and not have to come in and disturb you on your hunt there. Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Um, most common violations in the field. So what do you see non-residents screwing up out there? What's, what's the most violations that we see? You know, the biggest thing is people not having both that annual hunting license and the re required permit for the species they're pursuing. That's one of the top ones. Um, and another is not properly completing a harvest log bef before they move the animal and then not telechecking that animal by midnight of the day that they uh, have harvested and recovered it. And so if you happen to, you know, God forbid you shoot a, a deer and you go back the next day and recover it, you'd need to um, telecheck that animal that day when you recovered it. Uh, but you need to do that before midnight of the day of harvest and recovery so that you're legal. And that telecheck number needs to be recorded. Um, we've got it in our system. And when you call it in or go through the online system for telecheck, you want to make sure that you go all the way through completion and you get that telecheck confirmation number that you can either write on your license, record in your phone, or you know, record in some way, put it right on your hat, on your hand, whatever, but you got to produce that number to an officer in the field in case he doesn't have or she doesn't have a, a access to our system to check you there in the field. Usually they do, but you got to have a, a documented uh, record of that on your person. Okay. I could see that being... A, a common violation. I, I could see that for sure. Yes, we um, don't. We don't currently have a requirement where you have to put that tag on that deer or on that turkey, technically. But you got to have it in your possession with that animal. And so, uh, when you take it to, if you were to go to a, a processor or a taxidermist, they're going to require you to produce that telecheck confirmation number so that they're legal in checking in that animal, taking that animal off your hands. Um, so you, you again want to make sure you do that telecheck process before you leave that carcass with someone, whether that's processor, taxidermist, family member, whoever, before you leave the state. Understood. Okay. Uh, how about special opportunities for military or veterans or any 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 military folks out there? Yeah, we we don't have a special license or permit per se for uh, military folks. But we do offer a few special opportunities. Uh, if someone is a resident of Kentucky 
uh, let's say they're they're stationed at Fort Knox or Fort Campbell, um, and they've gone they're they're uh, or they're stationed elsewhere and they're they're on furlough of four or more days. We allow them to use that furlough paperwork and their ID, their state ID and their military ID to um, work as a proxy for a license. So they could go on a deer hunt, they could turkey hunt, whatever the case may be. If they've got four or more days of furlough, and they can produce that paperwork to show one of our officers. And we call them uh, game wardens or conservation officers here in Kentucky. Um, that's one option or opportunity. We do offer a couple of special military veteran waterfowl hunting days. And it's just basically a special day during the youth and military or veteran uh, special weekend hunt opportunities for um, the fall and the spring. And we encourage folks to check our hunting guides or publications or our website to find out when those are each year. The dates do change a little bit each year based on the seasons. And then finally, I mentioned earlier, if you happen to be a Kentucky resident and you're drawn for an elk permit, and then uh, you're, you're stationed elsewhere, TDY, or you're, um, you're shipped out and you have to go serve abroad uh, for a stint of time. If you've been drawn for an elk permit, we'll allow you that season to defer that permit for uh, one or two years. You just need to basically check in with it before your hunt date starts for that year. Check back in with our elk program, call us, email us, and we'll make sure that we note you in our system Put a flag on your permit and you can use it the following year or even up to two years after um, you've been drawn if you if you can you know show your paperwork that you've been restationed or pdy somewhere else that's great that that really is great because that i'm sure that saves a lot of people when they when they draw that tag and they all they want to do is go on it and then for whatever reason they get shipped out like you said yes yeah, so uh, and then i can only assume I, I i assume these aren't state regulated in any way but I would think Fort Knox and Fort Campbell probably have some opportunity for military veterans to be able to hunt on those lands as well. Absolutely. Fantastic opportunities. And they do give preference to military and veterans. So, uh, yeah, we'd encourage folks who have a military connection to check that out. Yeah, good, good, good. Um, state resources available. So do you guys have a YouTube page? I, I, you've mentioned many, many resources on the fw.ky.gov. Um, is there anything else where people can look for, for resources? Yeah, we do. We've got a, a really good, especially for new hunters, but but also for folks who may be coming here like for the elk hunt. Uh, we've got a webinar series. Um, it's actually updated every year uh, with with new um, you know features or regulations that might be um, uh, new on the books. And it's done by our elk, uh, our uh, staff, our expert biologists uh, in that program. Um, you can go to our uh, YouTube channel. Uh, you can come to our social media and there are links there. Um, if you search Kentucky Fish and Wildlife or Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife Resources in YouTube, you know, you'll find that. Uh, again, lots of good resources there in addition to our website, which, again, there are going to be links there for, for all these different resources for folks. But, yeah, tremendous amount of resources out there uh, on our website and, and these other media. Yeah, good. The maps that you talked about earlier sound really intuitive also. So I think that those are probably good to to take a look at. Yeah, what about, if you get a particular uh, so we, WMA by name or geography, you can search that way, you know, by county or WMA name. Or if you're not familiar, you can come. We have like a whole state map. You can zoom around and click on, you know, icons that represent WMAs and public lands statewide. Great, great. We haven't really touched on this at all, but I want to talk a little bit about your fishing opportunities and your public waters because um, mm -hmm. 
it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity there too. If it's not just about hunting deer or, or trying to chase elk or, or, you know, turkey or bear, maybe people like to fish. What, what opportunities do they have there? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't want to brag too much on our state, but we really do have it. We, we're both a happy hunting ground. And also you could say you're at, we're the happy fishing ground or waters. We're a tremendous um, resource or opportunity source for fishing as well. Um, for example, musky. Uh, we've been called, Kentucky's been called the musky capital of, of the South because we're just north enough to have good musky numbers in some of our streams and reservoirs. Uh, for example, the Green River, Barren River in South Central and Southeast Kentucky. In Eastern Kentucky, Cave Run Lake and Buckhorn Lake offer really good populations of, of musky and, and trophy opportunities. You can catch, you know, 40 inch plus musky in those bodies of water. Yeah. Um, we've got uh, some of our most popular draws in the state are Lake Cumberland in southeast Kentucky for striped bass. Uh, it's, it's a hidden gem also for big catfish, uh, for those who like catfish. Uh, we've got a lot of folks that come and fish the Ohio River along the northern boundary of Kentucky or northern border. Uh, it's a great place uh, just because of its size and volume of water for housing big catfish. Um, We've got the two big lakes in West Kentucky, which are very popular destination and um, holiday sites, uh, uh, Kentucky Lake and Lake Barkley. A lot of folks have historically come there to crappie fish in spring or in fall, uh, or to visit in summer and fish for, for bass in general. A lot of our streams are great for smallmouth bass fishing. Uh, we've got streams and rivers uh, that, are, that are known um, by smallmouth bass fishers nationwide for those opportunities. And so uh, Elkhorn Creek here around Frankfurt is great for smallmouth fishing. Um, many of our rivers offer that opportunity as well. And I'll make a plug for a resource uh, that's available on our website. Uh, that's our um, fishing forecast, which we update every year. And it's got all kinds of tips and tricks from types of lures and rigs up to uh, all the bodies of water you might want to target for a specific species of fish or, or category, uh, a gill to fish to fish for. And so um, whether it's largemouth bass fishing, again, musky, uh, crappie, panfish, um, sauger and walleye, we've got great opportunities for those in season, uh, especially around some of our dams uh, and tailwaters. So, you know, if you, if you want to uh, pursue something unusual, we've got uh, paddlefish opportunity, especially in the rivers and western Kentucky. Uh, and you can even catch and release um, uh, sturgeon in Kentucky. So we, we have some sturgeon uh, uh, opportunity as well uh, in, in the eastern part of the state. So there's, you name it, Kentucky's got it in terms of fishing, but I would encourage folks to check out that uh, fishing forecast available okay. each year at our website, fw.ky.gov. Excellent. Man, there's so much opportunity there. Uh, so, okay. So speaking of opportunities, I'm going to, we're going to close this thing out, but the last thing I'm going to ask is what, in, in your opinion, um, what are the best opportunities for non-resident hunters? You know, get, get in on that elk hunt drawing. I, I would encourage non-residents to throw your name in the hat, you know, for, for as little as 10 bucks, um, you know, per permit uh, opportunity. And since you don't have to buy a license or permit up front, you know, by all means, enter that. It's, it's definitely worth a shot. Um, and then um, another opportunity is youths. We have deeply discounted youth opportunities. We encourage folks to check those out. 
So folks who are 15 and younger are considered youths. We have special seasons, uh, special weekends or special weeks, uh, even some free opportunities for youths. So uh, youths that are 12 to 16, or excuse me, 12 through 15, under 16, have a special discounted uh, license. Kids that are 11 and under are license exempt. They're still required to complete their harvest log and telecheck their game if they're big game, but they're exempt from licenses, and so it's totally free to bring them here. So I encourage folks to bring them here to turkey hunt or deer hunt. Um, elk hunting does require the permit uh, and bear, but um, you know there's small game, uh, deer, turkey. Uh, again, there's opportunities free or deeply discounted to use. And then a final plug I'll make is for our velvet buck season. So for deer, you can come to Kentucky and have a, a very good shot at harvesting a velvet buck in early September because um, our uh, archery deer season starts the first Saturday in September. So if you get your deer permit, non-resident deer permit, and your annual hunting license, you can come hunt a WMA and hunt private land if you have access permission. And uh, up up until at least mid-September, have a, a reasonable shot at a deer that, that hasn't yet polished that antler, hadn't yet rubbed off that velvet. So that could be uh, something that folks want to take advantage of as well. Great, great opportunity. I, you mentioned a few there, but throughout that podcast, I heard about a ton of opportunities that I think are great, uh, great, great options. Yeah, most over the counter. I mean, so, uh, yeah, take advantage of what's available to, to you yeah. out there, most, mostly without drawings. So you take a whim to come to Kentucky, you know, come on down. Uh, we have uh, the, the great deer and, and the other populations of the Midwest and the great hospitality of the South here. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you, sir. I really appreciate your time and, and certainly for coming on the show and sharing all of this information. I think we'll wrap it up there. And is there anything that you think that we missed or we need to hit on before we hang it up? I don't think so. I'd just say if anybody has any questions, please check out our website. We've got a, an information center, uh, several staff that Monday through Friday, 8 to 4.30 Eastern time are available by email. If you want to email info.center at ky.gov. Uh, or call us at 1-800-858-1549 if you can't find the answer to your question online or uh, in one of our hunting or fishing guides. And we'll be, be glad to answer your questions. Very good. Thank you, sir. We'll hang it up there. All right. Thank you, Chad. Mm -hmm. There you have it. That is the rules, regulations, and opportunities for the great state of Kentucky. I was a little bit surprised. I think there is a ton of opportunity in Kentucky. And in fact... After we got done recording, Brian and I were kind of messaging back and forth, and there's a really good chance I might go to Kentucky next year in 2024 for some spring turkey. Or maybe, depending on the draw results, I might go out there and do an early September archery hunt. We'll see. You never know what happens out here in the West and with the draws, but Kentucky is an absolute option for me. It's close to home. I could go back to Indiana and see some family and turn that into a nice little whitetail or spring turkey hunting trip. Anyway, hope you enjoyed that one. Leave a review if you liked it. Um, Five-star review would be great. I like the iTunes reviews where people write in and, you know, they write up a review and tell me what they liked about a show or if you're on Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean or whatever, then just leave five stars. That, that'd be great. Appreciate it. Or you can always shoot me a DM on Instagram. I get those occasionally where people will just shoot a message over and say, hey, this is a great show. This is what I really liked. 
Either way, leave me a review. I hope y'all are liking this out-of-state hunter podcast and, and this series of learning more about these states. Make sure you check out Altera Arms. That is A-L-L-T-E-R-R-A-A-R-M-S.com. AlteraArms.com. And Kodiak Canvas. Check those out. Both fantastic products. All right, I'm out of here. Hope you enjoyed this one.